and welcome to another episode of Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Stryker, and I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your hosts. My name is Aaron. Aaron is also <laughs> an actor. And one of your hosts. And one of the hosts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're doing a doubleheader. We just had a long one. So, we just had uh, a long one, so we're going to uh, get right into it. Right off the bat, before we, uh, before we start talking, I feel like it's time we do this, because we did a whole hour and a half long episode sober, and we did a few of those mm-hmm. when I was taking a break before the tour, but mm-hmm. uh, it's much more fun to talk and drink, so... From our official, non-official sponsor of the podcast, Cabin Brewing, we got Rhubarbation. Ooh. It's a strawberry and rhubarb. 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 Cobbler Ale. I actually picked this one out. Uh, we were at Cabin yeah. yesterday, um, and Sam was like, pick out whatever you want. And I was like, I don't think we've had this on the podcast. We so. have not, no. Let's cheers first. I cheers up. to that, boys. I just had to stop the the steam from blowing over. The Ooh. steam? Ooh, it's hot. Dude, it's only hot because it was in my hand. It was underneath my ass cheeks. Okay, That's good. so. Well, we, that is really good. Great pick. Thanks. Great pick. Great pick. Hey, Sam. Yeah? Good pick. I didn't pick it. I made this shit. Good job, Sam. Good job, <laughs> Sam. Um, yes, I mean, I, I guess we, we kind of like caught everybody up on our last episode. Um, I'm sure in the time being when <laughs> this episode gets released, there'll be more to talk about on the episode following this one. But yeah. um, one thing we want to talk about again, we just want to give another shout out to the Vitos. Uh, they got their new acoustic album, uh, Right in the Tuckus. Right in the Tuckus. Uh, it's all their stuff off of Right in the Kisser, but stripped down. And I appreciate the fuck out of that mm-hmm. album. Uh, like both albums, honestly. I do. Uh, I've only listened to Right in the Tuckus once, so I can't I can't say which one I like better. I think the original is always going to be my mm-hmm. my heart. Uh, but this is I, I was saying to you guys earlier. I think that this is one of the only examples I can think of where uh, acoustic was done right, where this where it still had the same energy mm-hmm. going uh, like coming through. Because uh, you know a lot of bands will do an acoustic album, and and you're just like like Guns and Roses will do acoustic, and you're like fucking don't ruin <laughs> yeah, or like Foo Fighters, yeah, they do, do like an acoustic track yeah. or something like Everlong, and it's good, but but like <laughs> yeah, like it, and and there's a difference too between like if it's a live recording, like like a lot of uh, a lot of my favorite uh, performances have been on specifically. Howard Stern, when he's had uh, bands or singers in there, and they've done an acoustic version mm-hmm. of of some of their songs, always a fucking banger. But this is like bangers cover to cover. Yeah, they did it's a really, really great good. job. Yeah, I just want to give you guys a show. We talked a little bit at the end of the last episode. Just wanted to reiterate: listen to their stuff. They're they're a great band. They're a great Canadian band. Yeah, they're also great guys and friends of the podcast. Um, listen to their episode with us. Yeah. yeah. Two episodes. Two episodes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, shout out to them. They also did, like we always say, they do a fantastic job on our theme song. Catchiest fucking theme song of any podcast. Uh, yeah. Hands down. Hands so fucking down. Those guys rule. Thank and you know you. what? Take that, Toronto comedians that copied our format and made a podcast in the time that we were away. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait, actually? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're one, like, one of the comics is someone who follows me. It's slightly... Oh. It's slightly no, different. Are we beefing? It's no, no, no. I'm not even. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beef with them. I'm, I'm making a joke about it because theirs, theirs is a bit different. Like mm. they, they each have completely different musical tastes, and so they each pick an uh, an artist to uh, go into a deep dive of the history of. Mm. And so it's basically like taking one of our episodes, but making that the entire uh, uh, series. Well, anybody out there that thinks about doing a podcast, we're 
doing a podcast, so don't do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're the fuck, only white guys don't, don't who fuck, are doing yeah, podcasts. Yeah, we're the only don't white guys ever us. to do a podcast, so don't fuck, don't fucking copy us. Be original. <laughs> fucking do something different. You know, like we actually invented the camera and the microphone, so don't we even did. think about it. Listen, and beer. Yeah, and beer. <laughs> Listen, you know what? I don't mean to sound like Howard Stern here, but. I fucking created this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, before we actually get into anything, I do want to mention one thing. I don't have any dates on the books this summer yet uh, mm-hmm. because I, I, I was planning on uh, not doing uh, too much touring around the summer. So anybody in Calgary that wants to come to a show, I'll be posting about my shows in Calgary. I might do, like, a few outside of the city. like. But I'm, I'm mostly going to stick, like, around here. Nice. But you may be able to listen to me this summer. On the Alberta wide radio station CKUA uh, yeah. as a fill-in host, so uh, so that's exciting. I don't know what shows or what I'm going to be doing yet, but uh, I applied for a job uh, in one position and they offered me a fill-in host position. So that was honestly probably better yeah. for me. <laughs> but well, uh, I'm proud of you, buddy. Why? Thank you. Uh, it's almost like this podcast was the perfect training ground because. Uh, because I got to talk music. <laughs> Do that on the radio. That'll go. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, really selling myself on the professionalism right yeah. now. Guys, it's hard to do a podcast without drinking. Let me burp into the mic. And if you guys weren't aware, we also created the radio. So <laughs> we did create the yeah, radio. Yeah, there's no, there's no coming back. There's now. a reason why my middle name is Radio. Yeah, it's true. Spencer Radio Striker. Nice. My initials are SRS. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Word. It's actually kind of catchy. It is kind of catchy. <laughs> okay, so every episode of the podcast, uh, we go into a special segment mm-hmm. designed by our boy, our producer. Who? Me? Sam Sam the Tech Man. What? And because nobody has made a theme mm-hmm. yet, I have a theme mm-hmm. for Sam's Today in Music History for July 5th. And this time he knows how to play the kazoo. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Do you recognize that tune? Yeah. Chuck Mangione's Feel Good? Yeah, I, I sounded just like it. It did. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was pitch perfect, baby. I, I clenched my forehead <laughs> so hard there. I'm going to have to buy anti-aging cream. I really want to yeah. I, I really wanna, uh, go back in time and just screenshot your clench. Well, I was like, yeah, like I went full stroke, actually. Yeah, yeah. Your face looked like my butt usually you guys, looks. You guys smell burnt toast? <laughs> just, just me? Remember the acronym, FAST. <laughs> <laughs> just me, just me, just me. Good job, Spencer. Uh, okay, job, so Sam. Sam's, Sam's today in music history for July 5th. Uh, in 2005, Pink Floyd's David Gilmore said artists who, have, uh, who had seen album sales soar over the Live 8 concerts should donate their profits to charity, saying... This is money that should be used to save lives. Uh, in 2014, the four surviving members of the Grateful Dead gave what they said would be their final performance, playing mm. over, uh, playing to over 70,000 fans at Chicago's Soldier Field. Uh, the shows came 20 years after the death of lead guitarist Jerry Garcia, 
who played his last show in the nation's third largest city in 1995, the year I was born, and Sam is wearing a Jerry Garcia t-shirt. Weren't you going to see Grateful Dead in New York? Yeah, they ended up leaving the day before. Oh. Yeah. I thought I had it lined up, but I did not. That's a bummer. That's okay. It's with John Mayer. So I'll, I like John Mayer, but I'll live. Yeah. I, I'm more interested in seeing John Mayer do stand-up because apparently he's a regular at like the improv in the store and stuff. And uh, I've heard he's really good. That's the other fucking thing. Like, I, I heard you know, from... He checks out with his dating history as well. <laughs> oh, he's quite... I, he's got that one music video that's quite funny. Brad uh, Brad Hawaii. Williams, when when I, uh, I, I did spots on his show at the Laugh Shop uh, uh, when I was a young comic and Brad was telling me about it and he was like, you know, the surprising thing is he's pretty fucking good. And mm. I was like, mm, okay. This is uh, one of those guys, fucking handsome and talented. Handsome and talented. Uh, 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 annoyingly, so at both. Yeah, well, he pulled it from us. That's true. Yeah, he sucked all of our handsomeness and talent out. And yeah, fucking... left us with just a podcast. Yeah, just a podcast. <laughs> yeah. we, just have a po- we just have a podcast and each other. Mm. That's all I need. Okay, in 1995, more than 100 Grateful Dead fans were hurt when a wooden deck collapsed at an underground lo- uh, at a campground lodge in Wentzville, Missouri. Hundreds of people were on or under the deck sheltering from heavy rain. More than 4,000 dead heads were staying at the grounds while attending Grateful Dead concerts in St. Louis uh, in the St. Louis suburb. Uh, did any of them die? I Looked it up and it. I couldn't find anything about deaths, but a lot of injuries. Because I'm not gonna lie, when I read it's four thousand so- deadheads, yeah. I was like, <laughs> "That's a lot of deadheads." Yeah, that's a lot of deadheads. Like no, I couldn't like a major find event. anything about deaths. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I pre- like maybe I didn't look hard enough, and there was deaths, mm. but like a lot of people got injured. Was all do, I could do find. Do better, Sam. Yeah, I'm sorry. Do better. In in 2002. It was reported that Dr. Dre had become the richest music star after earning $62 million in the last year, $32 million from his own earnings, plus $25 million from his recording label, Aftermath. And then he made beats. <clears throat> so, yeah. He's worth, he probably like, still is, like, one of the richest. Yeah, he's not. I would, I would say he's probably in the top ten. Yeah, easily. For easily. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what's surprising? Do you know what the biggest selling act, like, biggest selling musical act of all time is? Mm, no, I'm going to I'm going to you guys aren't going to get it. The Beatles are number two. And this is album sales and concerts and everything. Didn't we talk about this on the podcast at one point? We did mention it yeah, at one point. Now I'm and like, well, so I'm seeing it? if you guys remember. I don't. You don't? You going to take a guess? Was it Springsteen? Nope. No. He's like number seven. Okay. I don't know. It's Garth Brooks. Ooh. Oh yeah, we did talk yeah. about this. Yeah. yeah, and he does like the fucking major arena tours. That yeah, I remember now. And and it does make sense because each of those major arena tours, like he'll go to Saskatoon and be there for a week. Yeah, and it's all sold out shows. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, crazy though that he hasn't recorded anything in like twenty years because the last thing that he recorded was the Chris Gaines album when he tried to make this rock persona. <laughs> but he teased recently that there's going to be a Chris Gaines album coming out in the near future. So nice. we're gonna get another Chris Gaines album out. Okay, uh, I got the top ten if you want to quickly. Ooh, yeah. yeah. The right. top ten wealthiest musicians are as okay. of uh, when was this? I'm going to say uh, this is 2023. Jay-Z's going to be on it. Uh, Taylor Swift's going to be on it. All right, I'll start from ten. Kay. Okay, it's yeah, it goes to ten. Number ten, Dolly Parton. Nice. Oh, uh, yeah. Number nine, Bono. Nice. Number eight, Celine Dion, which also, uh, just quickly about the submarine. I sent that meme, though. 
she hit number eight on the yeah. Billboard top track for My Heart nice Will Go spike. On. Yeah. But you know what's crazy about that is, like, I only know two of her songs, and yet she's number eight on that list. That's insane. Yeah, well, that's just because people died by the Titanic, and we were all memeing it. No, I, okay, no, no, I know, I know that, but I, what I mean is oh. number eight on that list, like, of richest musicians. I, I, <clears> care, I bet you, like, it's almost all her revenues coming from my heart will go on well shit. probably the she's she's had a vegas residency for a long time oh too. yeah no no she's too. not touring she's got that oh and disease she, going on, but. she publishes all her own albums she, yeah. she owns all the rights that's good to that's that. good yeah that makes sense okay good canadian girl yeah nice. canadian french canadian mm-hmm. um madonna number seven herb alpert <laughs> number six. Fucking not, what? <laughs> not very familiar with him. I'll be who? Yeah. <laughs> who? Uh, who? <laughs> who? 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 Al- Alpert. Sorry. Alpert. Oh, that's why I didn't understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now I know that who. guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know his big hits. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I don't really recognize his hits either. Here, here's his Wiki- I'll read his opening Wikipedia. Like Herb Woo? Alpert, born March 31st, 1935, is an American trumpeter who led the band Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass in the 1960s during the same decade. Uh, he, oh, he co-founded I, AMN Records. I, oh. Okay, I yeah, as soon as you said he was a trumpeter, I knew exactly who you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's that got makes 14 platinum sense. albums, 15 gold. He, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he's been on the Billboard 200 charts like 28 different times. Like, Damn. Yeah, this dude's just kind of everywhere. Uh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Damn, okay. okay. Um, all right, now back to it. Number five, P. Diddy, baby. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. Number four, Sir Paul McCartney. Nice. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, number three, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Number. Okay, now I have a now I have a, a quarrel here with that. Yeah. Because he's a composer. Yeah. But. So I mean, he's not a musician. No, I just think... Is he an artist, Spencer? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck both of you. (laughs) It makes sense. I mean, he's written a lot of really famous fucking musicals. Yeah. Yeah. No, like... Andrew Lloyd, like Andrew Weber, I hear that name and immediately like, I'm yeah. like yeah, that checks out. Three, I'm a little surprised by that he's that high up on this list. That is surprising. I would, yeah, I wouldn't have had him in the top ten. I mean, no, I probably would have put him like in the top twenty. But it makes but... sense is like his musicals being turned into movies, and like, he also gets residuals fucking... every single time a community theater fucking all yeah, the rights, all the, the rights, probably making yeah, a shitload. And, but surprisingly, who's not on this list is Dre right now. Really, really, no, Dre has fallen off, but. Because number two, Rihanna. Nice. Wow. And then number one, Jay-Z. Yeah. Wow. I figured it would be Jay-Z. That's fucking insane that uh, uh, Taylor Swift isn't on that list. No. Well, she, Does it I say? Feel like she's growing now because she didn't own like some of her masters I guess. I guess that's a like, good point. She, pro- she made her money off of touring, which is not a sustainable way as a musician. Yeah. 
Well, and and I mean, uh, in all fairness, you do make more money from touring you than do, you do but from you don't, like, sales. You but, don't get that back end yeah, revenue that's, from streams and shit. Yeah, and and that's the one big problem with all of the streaming services. Like I like okay, for she instance, didn't get her twenty dollars for the two billion streams. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's the thing. That's the biggest problem with it is that a lot of these uh, uh, like all of the record. There's like five major record labels that all are like share owners in Spotify and Apple Music and everything like that. So they kind of hold everything by the ball. So they get they get a bigger cutback than the artists do. And they also double and, dip, right? Yeah, and, oh, and yeah. for for someone like me like it, like for instance my comedy album it's not like it's it's blown up, but I mean it's got 40,000 streams on Spotify. And I've probably made off of that like 800 bucks. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's kind of fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, just quick news about talking about this. I saw today that Sony is trying to buy Warner Bros. Uh, right now. Ooh. Yeah, they're entering to buy out like everything, music, like all the parks, everything. Doesn't Warner Brothers own uh, Capitol Records? Uh, Capitol, I believe so. Like they they own a lot. At, they're not part of Universal, no. Uh, UMG. No. Okay. No, that's no. that is Universal. That's Universal Music Group. Uh, yeah. No, it's like E something. E, e oh, EMI. Yeah. Yeah. I think they own that. That's but, so, yeah. and Sony already has a ton of record companies, so they're but they're trying to buy out everything like Discovery with the Warner Brothers. Wow. Yeah, Gotta love monopolies. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Really, really appreciating those monopolies. I mm-hmm. love that. Game. <laughs> uh, Go right to jail, Sam. Okay. In two thousand and three. In two thousand and three, Johnny Cash made his last ever live performance when he appeared at the Carter Ranch before singing Ring of Fire. He read a statement about his late wife that he had written shortly before taking the stage. Spirit of June Carter overshadows me tonight with the love she had for me and the love I have for her. We connect somewhere between here and heaven. She came down for a short visit, I guess, from heaven to visit me, uh, visit with me tonight to give me courage and inspiration like she always has. Uh, Cash died on September 12th of that year. You know, it's weird, and this is, this is a pattern that I've seen, and I had... Uh, one of the old ranchers I used to work for, he he mentioned this one time, and and ever since he said it, I've I've seen the pattern. If there is like an elderly couple that's been together mm-hmm. for like you know fifty years, if the wife dies, the husband will usually die within the year. But if the husband dies, the wife can live for another ten okay, ten that's, or so that's years. That's right. Yeah, I was and, about to say the same yeah. thing. That makes sense. I. Y- yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He followed it up with that proves how much we need women and they don't need us, which I also agree with. But <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that actually, yeah, that's shockingly true. That's usually how it goes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think part of that is because, especially that generation, like the woman did all the housework and did all, all that. Yeah, so they knew how to live. Like my grandparents are getting old, and my grandma's right now teaching my grandpa how to live for just in case yeah (laughs) and like he's learning how to fold laundry right now and it's kind of wild to think about because i've been doing that since i was like 12 and it's also it's also i think a matter of like of uh you know with that generation look at what the jobs that they had before they were married and then like even continuing on once they were married like a lot of times there was like like for instance both my grandpas uh worked physical labor their whole lives Mm -hmm. and they still fucking do for fun like they're just like my grandpa's like oh i'm gonna go cut a bunch of firewood that's that's my summer job time to dig some holes dig some holes the death part like the earlier death of men is like a lifestyle thing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah uh, so, in 1975, Rolling Stone Keith Richards was arrested by the Highway Patrol in Arkansas on charges of reckless driving and possessing an offensive weapon. 
Uh, what's an offensive weapon? <laughs> I think it says. Uh, a seven-inch hunting knife, but that's not offensive. No. <laughs> what, the, what the fuck was he doing in Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> that's my first question. What the fuck is he doing uh, in Arkansas? Obtaining an offensive weapon. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's like, no, that's weird. Okay, Strange. so yeah. in 1954, working together for the, for the first time in a recording studio with Scotty Moore and Bill Black, Elvis Presley fools around during a break with an up-tempo version of That's All Right. Producer Sam Phillips has them then repeat the jam and records it. It becomes Presley's first rec- release on Sun Records. Nice. Cool. Uh, releases on this day. Creedence Clearwater Revival's album, Creedence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> oh, you got, a, you got it right in the second time. Good job. You can't say it. You can't say it. I can't say it. Uh, it's the cursed name. Uh, CCR. CCR. 19, wait, you can't say it? No, yeah, it's like a thing in the music industry. Then why the fuck did you write it down? You <laughs> fucked me. I fucked you. You fucked me. <laughs> you bastard. Well, you didn't say it right anyway, so it doesn't yeah, count. Yeah, you fucked yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so in 1972, Frank Zappa's Waka Jaka. <laughs> what? He releases so much music. I feel like almost like every other release. Waka Jawaka. You, you throw Frank Zappa fucking everywhere. Waka <laughs> Jawaka. Waka Jawaka. Named after his daughter. Uh, <laughs> In 1993, uh, U2's. Zuropa came out. Fucking all the names. In, in, <laughs> in 1993, Bjork's debut. And in 1994, Hootie and the Blowfish's cracked rear view. Nice. All right. <laughs> now, every episode on Misfits on Vinyl, we, re- we review an album. Sure sometimes do. it's a favorite album. Sometimes it's a popular one. Sometimes it crosses over. This one I know crosses over for me. Uh, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but... I love this album in high school, but I'm not the biggest fan of the Pistols anymore just because of controversies and shit. I, I, when I learned about it later in high school. I will school. say, though, like I, I still will separate the art from the artist. Mm. With This one's a little easier to than yeah. other artists. Like, I fell off because of this. Like This one, it's, it's easier to because it's like the band had already broken up and one, one and, and, and you know, it, it, it's a whole thing. Anyways, the album we're reviewing is Never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols. Woo. This is, uh, believe it or not, our first straight-up just punk album. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, like, biggest, earliest, most influential oh, punk. essential. Yeah. Yep. Like, this is one of the, the biggest ones, you know, the late 70s punk movement, the punk scene. This is the one. Everyone who picked up a guitar in the 80s to try and learn was a fan of this album. Speaking mm-hmm. of punk, I'm going to go on a quick story because I was at a punk show, Sled Island. Yeah, you saw Mannequin Pussy. Uh, I saw Mannequin Pussy. Rad show. Amazing show. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. But I saw Chris, the lead guitarist of uh, Peach Pit, just chilling there, and I couldn't go. I just too anxious to go say hi, but it was hilarious. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. You should have like, went out. It was mm. too chill of a vibe of him there. Like, no one else was going up to him. I'm like, I can't do this. But apparently he was playing at Dandy that day just for, like, his friend's band. Oh, cool. He, like, showed up and just, like, played guitar for them and was just hanging out at Sled that mm. night. I would have I been like, come on our podcast. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I have yeah, no shame. I needed yeah. one of you guys there. I was on a date, so it was like one of those. Where I'm oh, like, yeah. Mm. Sam was on a date because <laughs> yeah. he's in love. Sam's in love. Let's yeah. fucking hear all love about his air. fucking date. Oh. I was at Mannequin Pussy with the, the love of my life. I was at Mannequin Pussy <laughs> with a real-life pussy. 
Uh, it was okay, me. Easy. I was the real life pussy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, he was no. referring to yourself. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you didn't go up and Never talk mind. to the guy from Peach yeah, Pit. That's that's yeah, exactly yeah. why I'm on the podcast. <laughs> you, I had to talk about that because I did it on the last episode. Nice. <laughs> that's cool. That is cool. It was cool. See him. I'll put put up the photo that I took of him creeping. Don't do that. That's creepy. <laughs> that's so fucking he weird. Sent dude. It, he sent it and it was weird. It was, it was weird weirder than, than the... actually going up and talking. If you went up and talked to him, I wouldn't have even been weird at all. But it it was creepy that you were just like. From a distance, and we just see a little bit of your ear. That's the other thing. Sam was the first guy to paparazzi fucking peach pit. <laughs> yeah, like done, done. Like, We're gonna like, sell that photo. <laughs> call TMZ. TMZ right here. Sam's like Canadian indie rock band spotted at Canadian indie rock festival punk show. He'll playing, sell it. He'll, he's playing too good at pool. I think he's on drugs. He'll, he'll sell. He'll sell the fucking photo to Hello Canada for five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I'm a paid artist. <laughs> gonna sell it to like the free newspapers they give out at fucking metro stations in Vancouver. It's like yeah. Vancouverite spotted in Calgary. Ooh. Ooh. No, in Victoria. If that was Victoria. Yeah, though. yeah, that's right, that's right. Careful, don't get Spencer riled up again. Don't get me pissed about Victoria. Yeah. I do love Victoria. Sorry I, to I, divert right there. Victoria I is. To. I will say this: one of my favorite cities to go and perform in. It's like it, the vibe just matches me a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't wait to go back. I want to own a vacation home in Victoria. On the island, I know if I'd live in Victoria, but on the island would be nice. On the island would be nice. If you go a little more north, like Campbell River. Yeah, nice. or or uh, Tofino. Mm-hmm. Tofino's great. Yeah. Water is the same temperature all year round. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So. About, never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols. So, it was released on the 28th of October, 1977 in the UK through Virgin Records. Mm -hmm. And on the 11th of November in 1977 uh, in the US through Warner Brothers. It was their debut and only studio album. Uh, The band's internal relationships were always volatile. And... It even impacted this album because uh, the original bassist, Glenn Matlock, left the band early in the recording process. <laughs> and while he is credited as a co-writer on all but two of the tracks, he only performed bass and backing vocals on Anarchy in the UK. Uh, he was replaced with the new bass player, Sid Vicious, who is credited on two of the songs as the writer after, the ba- after he joined the band. But he was so bad at playing the bass, <laughs> and he couldn't play the bass... So Steve Jones ended up playing the bass on the whole album instead. Well, apparently, too, I was watching the interview with Steve Jones. He was only playing music for a year when they recorded this album. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he wasn't even well-versed either. Yeah. They were they were all, like, literal street punks. Yeah. Uh, Most punk shit I've ever heard. It is pretty fucking punk. Uh, so... Drummer Paul Cook, uh, Steve Jones, and singer Johnny Rotten appear on every track, though. Uh, The album had two producers who alternated sessions, uh, and the final mix included songs that had both of their sessions in the same (laughs) song. Uh, No one knows which producer produced which because of this confusion. Uh, One of the producers, Bill Price, said this, and this is a bit of a long quote, but it, it, it really shows how fucked this recording process was. The simple fact of the matter was that Chris was hired by Malcolm McLaren to do a series of singles for the Sex Pistols. I was hired by Malcolm to do a series of album tracks with the Sex Pistols. 
Life got slightly complicated because I did a few album tracks that Chris remade as singles. Also, Chris started a couple of tracks that got abandoned as singles, which I remade and then used as album tracks. <laughs> On quite a large number of songs, when we finished the album, we had two versions of the song, and I couldn't quite understand why Malcolm kept chopping and changing between different versions of different songs. Then it slowly dawned on Chris and myself that Malcolm was trying to slip between the two stools and then not pay Chris or me. So we said, I'll tell you what, Malcolm, whatever's on the Sex Pistols album, it was either done by me or Chris, and you can pay us and we'll divvy it amongst ourselves, which is what we did. But it didn't. Uh, but it did force that very strange credit simply because the sleeve was printed long before it was finally decided <laughs> which version of the individual song was on the record. Uh, if we had known, it would have said produced by Bill Price or produced by Chris Thomas. That's how you ended up with the credit produced by Bill Price and Chris Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So uh, producer Chris Thomas, the other producer, uh, was known for producing albums for the Beatles. Pink Floyd, Elton John, and the Pretenders. Uh, he was a classically trained violinist hmm. who played in several London bands and then even turned down the opportunity to perform with Jamie Hendrix and Mitch Mitchell. Uh, after several years, he decided that he had little interest in making a career as a musician. In 98, he stated, I realized that being in a band, you were dependent on all these people. And I also knew that if I had ever been successful in a band, I would have wanted to stay in the studio and just make the records. I wasn't that interested in playing live. Hmm. That makes sense. So, fun little story here. During the during the time that they're recording, bassist Sid Vicious stumbled into the same recording room as the rock band Queen. Uh, <laughs> he aimed an insult at lead singer Freddie Mercury, saying, Have you brought the ballet to the masses yet? And then Mercury got up and responded, are you Simon Ferocious or something? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> uh, took him by the collar and then threw him out of the room. Ah, some cheeky banter. Some cheeky banter. <laughs> Later, Queen's producer Roy Thomas Baker had a word with the Pistols engineer over the interruption by Johnny Rotten, which was a different one, saying, One of the band members just crawled on all fours across the studio, up to the side of the piano, said, Hello, Freddy, and then left on all fours. <laughs> Could you make sure this doesn't happen again? <laughs> like, imagine if they had email back then, the fucking CC, who they'd CC on that dude. Ah, uh, that's funny. As per my dude. last email. As per my last email, uh, he can walk in on two legs uh, when we're not recording and, you know, not say anything weird. Uh, um, if that works for you, let me know. Get, me ba get back to me. <laughs> okay, before, before Virgin could release... Oh, wait. Uh, the album was influential uh, towards many bands and musicians and the industry in general. In particular, the album's raw energy and Johnny Rotten's sneering delivery and half-singing were often considered game-changing, and it is frequently listed among the most influential punk albums, if not one of the greatest and most important albums of all time. Mm. That makes sense. It does make I sense. I mean, the, their sound was, at the time, the rawness of it was not... Was not common. It's unpolished. No. It's raw. It was shocking. Like mm -hmm. at that time, like you read interviews and reviews, and like it shocked. The well, even yeah. the name, man, the fucking yeah. band name being the Sex Pistols. Yeah, like, and they they were so like anti monarch, and at that mm -hmm. time, like people were like bowing for that queen. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, they uh and and they released their first single on uh on. Queen Elizabeth II's Silver Jubilee. Yes. Which is fucking <laughs> hilarious. Uh, 
So before Virgin could release Nevermind the Bollocks, uh, Richard Branson discovered that two other Sex Pistol albums were competing with his labels. In October, a bootleg named Spunk, which featured high-quality recordings of their demos and recording sessions with Dave Goodman, was released on a label called Blank. Even with the availability of Spunk, the release of Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols was eagerly awaited in the UK, with advanced orders of 125,000 copies. Uh, It debuted at number one on the UK albums charts the week after it was released. A ban of the album enacted a major retail uh enacted by re- major retailer that I'm going to just reverse that yeah. one a ban of the album enacted by major retailers resulted in the record selling well through independent vendors instead which makes a lot of sense and also kind of does fit the vibe of what they were going for because they were so anti-establishment well what i found interesting in that video i was watching that interview they were talking about the kind of the climate at the time and why he th- why he thought the album kind of spoke to people. He was like talking about London in the seventies. There was a job crisis. There was a lot of like abandoned buildings, a lot of crime. It was the seventies. Like all yeah. major cities kind of went through that transition point from the sixties in the seventies. Fucking New York. Things got nasty and shitty and gross. And he was saying, yeah, like fucking nobody had jobs. Nobody had money. People were pissed off and they were unhappy. And they, they were a part of that, those people. So they just fucking put that energy into the music and it connected. Yeah. Um, and and you can hear it in like you can hear the anger in the vocals, mm-hmm. which is which is funny because I think nowadays there's a lot of bands that try and force the anger on it. But because of what he was singing about, he fucking <laughs> genuinely had that anger. Yeah. Um so the album was originally going to be called God Save Sex Pistols. Uh Jamie Reed's cover concept refrained from including a picture of the group and instead was uh this Red and yellow in color with uh, cutout letters and finish uh, and a finish re- resembling a crude screen print. While the U.S. version was pink with a green Sex Pistols logo, uh, the album's title changed in the mid uh, 1977 based on the phrase supplied by, supplied yeah, based on a phrase supplied by Steve Jones. Jones said he picked up on the phrase "Never mind the bollocks" from two fans who would say it to one another. And Johnny Rotten explained its meaning was the working class expression to stop talking rubbish. Mm. Now, do you know what a bollocks is? <laughs> it's a nutsack? It is a nutsack. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a British term for a nutter. Nice. Uh, all right. <laughs> In the UK, the <laughs> album was subject to what Halen described as blatant acts of censorship exercised by media and retail outlets alike. London police visited the city's Virgin Record Store branches and told them they faced prosecution for indecency, <laughs> as stipulated by the nineteen or uh, er, eighteen ninety nine uh, Indecent Advertisements <laughs> Act. If they continued to display posters of the album uh, cover in their windows, uh, the displays were either toned down or removed. However, on November 9th, nineteen seventy seven, just two days before the album was released in the U.S. The London Evening Standard announced on its front page headline, police move in on punk disc shops and reported how Virgin Records shop manager in Nottingham was arrested for displaying the record after being warned to cover up the word bollocks. Wow. What's really crazy is they actually ended up in a lawsuit about this. Like it was it it, it was like, you know how in the 80s, uh, D. Snyder went and spoke to Congress yeah. and, and basically told Tipper to fuck off. Yeah, about the explicit laws. Yeah. And yeah. They had sort of a similar thing happen in the UK, and the jury unanimously was like, well, we might not agree with what you're saying, 
because of our because of our laws around freedom of expression and freedom of speech and freedom around mm-hmm. art, you're allowed to do it. So they they then uh, like the the British government had to back the fuck off. That's the thing I love about the whole freedom of speech thing. It, every, you know, no matter it's mostly conservatives, but they love to to quote freedom of speech until they hear something they don't want to hear. Yeah, and then it's suddenly oh fucking you know burn it, the book, fucking ban the album. It's the end of the fucking world, yeah, man. Ban the album. Yeah, that shit always makes me laugh, dude. I'm 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 getting it right now on TikTok. Yeah, you've, uh, been, you've been poking the bear. I've though. been poking the bear. You have been, but yeah. it's it's been so easy because apparently it's really easy. All I have to do is make a joke that like, and I okay, I will say the very first one that uh, I did. I didn't actually name any names, and it was pretty fucking like clear across the board because it was the night of the election. I just said, no matter who wins tomorrow, you can piss someone off by saying, "Wow, I can't believe they'd reelect her after what she did as the premier." Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, that, no, that was a good joke. That's a good joke <laughs> because, like, it's not, it's not goes both ways. It goes both ways. But conservatives took that so fucking against them in a personal mm. slight and then it, it blew up because I got so many hate comments and it's so funny too because the way that TikTok uh, stops you know hurt hateful speech they'll be like do you want to approve this comment and it'll be something that has nothing to do with me but then they'll let somebody comment and be like listen you fucking faggot move out of here I'm like <laughs> Jesus Christ like what the hell <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah people are the worst on the internet that's why I commend you for poking the bear Poking the bear. It's never easy. You put yourself out there and you let yourself get hate on. I stick my finger in those ribs and I twist. Okay, nice. I'm going to plug my computer in before it dies. Yes, good call. Quick break. Break. 37 minutes. What this time? one, we're gonna, I, I guarantee you, we're going to knock it out at exactly one hour. Bet. I saw. Fuck, I'm in your story twice today. Yeah, dude. Fucking feeling special. <laughs> feeling special. Okay. <clears throat> Alright, I'm gonna take a drink and then we'll go right into the artist. We're back! And we back! We back! Okay. About the artist, the uh, the Sex Pistols were an English punk rock band formed in London in 1975. Although their initial career lasted just two and a half years, <laughs> they were one of the most culturally influential acts in pop music. Uh, the band initiated the punk movement in the UK and inspired many later punk and alt-rock musicians, while their clothing and hairstyles were a significant influence on the punk image. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the Sex Pistols' first lineup consisted of vocalist Johnny Rotten, uh, now going by his name John Linden, uh, or L- John Lydon, uh, guitarist Steve Jones, drummer Paul Cook, and bassist Glenn Matlock. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, he was replaced by Sid Vicious in early 77. Uh, under the management of Malcolm McLaren, they attracted widespread media uh, controversies, bringing them to the attention of the mainstream British press. Oh, wow. What, what the hell happened there? Mm-hmm. British press. British press. Um, so, uh, I'm only going to talk about, uh, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. Like, I did a lot of, of, uh, stuff on them, specifically, because mm-hmm. I do feel like, out of everybody in the band, they're kind of the two, you know, most no- the, notorious. The most famous of the, yeah. of the band, and also, like you said, most controversial, most, most controversial. notorious, 
um, especially one of them. Yeah. Uh, so let's dive into it. Uh, so at the age of seven, uh, Johnny Rotten uh, contracted spinal meningitis and mm. spent a year in St. Anne's Hospital in London. Uh, throughout the entire experience, he suffered from headaches. Uh, he had, like, insane seizures, uh, nausea, hallucinations. And then he was in comas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of tuned out. I got a text straight. Oh. Yeah. Sorry, my mic was not there. I don't know if yeah. you knew this, but fucking, this was, what, like, five years ago? I was Four 19, yeah. so uh, six years ago, I yeah. had spinal meningitis. Really? I was in the mm-hmm. hospital uh, for only a night. And, uh, but you were fucked up, dude. Oh, I and then I was bedridden at home for yeah. a week and a half. I can't remember. If, I think I came and saw you. I don't remember. Maybe. I remember yeah, I was seeing up, a girl at that time, and she was... No, she like had to go back home for school, and she drove down to visit me like multiple times. You were in rough shape. I remember that, man. That was scary. It was weird. It mm. was a weird experience. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> and Thought I still, of my to do list. No, uh, I still have lasting like back problems from that. Wow. Like Fuck, this, just ones of that they told me that they'll never go away, and I have to do stretches still every morning, or else I'll have like a really tight back. Dude, that's insane. Yeah. I, I had no idea about that. Yeah. I, that was that was when we would have first known each other, too. Fuck. Like, just after I left university. So I had known you for about a year and a half at that oh, point. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. so I would have been probably in Toronto at that time? I think you were in Toronto at that time. I was, God damn. Yeah, I was just getting ready. I remember that, though, because it was fucking scary. Yeah. I was, um, it was really scary. It was weird, because, no, I had, like what I thought was a seizure in bed and then went to work the next day and felt not okay. And then like a man, a manager was making fun of me for this. And then I went to the hospital and then he just didn't talk to me. Like I, I, when I came back, cause he felt so bad that I actually was like, almost died dude don't you love that though when like somebody fucking somebody does the wrong thing yeah. and then they they have to eat their fucking words no, he like wouldn't look at me it was like a month till he like half apologized fuck yeah that's why i just yeah as soon as you said spinal meningitis i was like sam yeah yeah no, sorry. i was like looking at my phone as you said that part so i tuned out for a half second that's well, one crazy. part <laughs> and, and speaking about the like uh lasting effects like that's part of the reason why uh like johnny rotten had the fucking weird curve in his spine mm-hmm. and what he what has been called the uh lidden stare where <laughs> like his eyes kind of just go off um <laughs> So then, uh, on the other side, uh, Sid Vicious, born John Simon Ritchie, uh, on May 10th, 1957, uh, to John and Anne Ritchie. Uh, Anne dropped out of school and joined the British Army, where she met Ritchie's father, a guardsman at Buckingham Palace, and a semi-professional trombone player on Mm. the London jazz scene. Uh, Shortly after uh, Sid Vicious was born, though, uh, his mother and him moved to Ibiza. And they were supposed to be joined by his uh, his dad, who never showed up. Um, so then she sold weed. And nice. that was what she did in Ibiza to get by, was sold weed. And then with the help of the British consulate, then she ended up moving back to the UK, where she married a dude who died six months later. Fuck. And she was so strung out on opiates when he was a child that she did not know that her son had learning disabilities and was in a uh, like school for uh, like kids with learning uh, difficulties. Really. Uh, so uh, he and then while all of this is happening, Sid told a counselor at school that he contemplated suicide and was torturing cats. 
That doesn't surprise me. Nope, kind of makes sense. Uh, Yeah, Uh, fuck. So in 1973, uh, uh, so in 1973, uh, John Lydon uh, was at the same school as Sid Vicious, and they ended up, like, meeting each other, but he nicknamed uh, him Sid Vicious after he... Uh, was bitten by uh, Johnny Rotten's hamster <laughs> named Sid. <laughs> named after Sid Barrett. <laughs> uh, that's so stupid. It's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking really stupid. Checks out, though. So, uh. so they both end up, like, fucking off out of school. And then, according to Johnny Rotten, him and Sid Vicious took up busking with Lydon singing and occasionally playing the violin and Vicious playing a tambourine or an acoustic guitar. And they would play Alice Cooper's covers and people would pay them money to stop. That's funny. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, so uh, then... An origin story. Then the Six Pistols uh, evolved from The Strand, uh, sometimes known as The Swankers, which was formed in 1972 by teenager Steve Jones on vocals, Paul Cook on drums, and Wally Nightingale on guitar. According to Jones, he and Cook played uh, on instruments he had stolen, and the band (laughs) regularly hung out at two clothing stores on Kings Road in Chelsea, London. Uh, John Curvin and Steve Raynor's Acme Attractions and Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. Uh, And it's there where they ended up meeting the other members of the band. Um... In early 74, Jones asked McLaren uh, to take over for management. Mm. And then Glenn Matlock, uh, who was an art student, he, uh, who occasionally worked at the, at the clothing store, joined as bassist. But then uh, McLaren temporarily located to New York. And before his departure, he and Westwood had uh, conceived a new identity for their shop, renamed Sex. It changed its focus from retro culture to... Uh, S&M-inspired anti-fashion. And then uh, in 1975, inspired by the punk rock scene that was emerging in Lower Manhattan, in particular by the Ramones, and the radical style and attitude of Richard Hell, uh, he began taking a greater interest in the band. Nice. That makes sense. So the group had been rehearsing regularly, overseen by The Clash's Bernard Rhodes, and had already performed live. But they hadn't recorded anything yet. No. I don't think they had really like planned a lot of their shows at this point in their career. I think there was a lot of improv yelling from the yeah. sounds of things, everything that I could read. Um, but in August of 75, Rhodes spotted a 19-year-old Johnny uh, Rotten wearing a Pink Floyd t-shirt with the words, I hate written above the band's name, <laughs> uh, and holes scratched <laughs> through the Floyd members' eyes. Uh, soon after, either Rose or McLaren asked Johnny Rotten to meet Jones and Cook in a pub. Uh, in 77, uh, the Sex Pistols manager announced that Glenn Matlock had been thrown out of the band because he liked the Beatles, and that he had been replaced <laughs> by Vicious. In his autobiography, I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol, Matlock says he quit because he was sick of all the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you don't fucking say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, someone that produced for the Beatles produced on their album. Yeah. Like, they're fucking so full of shit. That's so funny. Um, in 2000, uh, there was a documentary called The Filth. The Filth and the Fury, and the band members agreed that there was tension between Matlock and Rotten. But Matlock said that those tensions were aggravated by the manager, McLaren, 
who wanted to generate chaos in the band as a creative mechanism, mm. which is always just a recipe for That's a how good it works, time. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we've known with uh, Fleetwood Mac, you don't necessarily need to create that. No, it I can think just you happen. Can fucking have it. Um, so he wanted Matlock to leave and then replaced him with Vicious, saying if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, then Vicious is the attitude. Mm. Eh. I disagree with that. Uh, you know, Sid Vicious, bit of a Nazi, uh, on top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe he's not the not attitude. Not very punk. Yeah. No. Uh, not very punk. That's like that's like people saying that uh, you know the skateboarder Jesse Jones. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like people saying that oh well he was just punk because all of his shit had swastikas <laughs> and stuff on it. It's like no, no, he was he was a fucking white supremacist. Yeah, he was just a Nazi. Call a spade yeah. a spade. Yeah, we call that a skinhead, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> that is <laughs> fuck off. That is that is neo-Nazi at its dead. Kennedys say worst. it best. Nazi punks fuck off. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, exactly. Uh, so vicious became. Uh, he was a Sex Pistols uber fan. He went to every single show that they ever did. Uh, and he was offered, uh, uh, okay, so uh, he was encouraged to be drunk and disorderly, <laughs> with Wobble saying, Sid was offered up as a sacrificial lamb by the people around the pistols. None of them would have gone over the top, but he was like a kamikaze pilot, and they were all too happy to strap him in and send him off. Let the unhinged guy go wild. Yeah, great call. Yeah, great call. That never ends in something terrible. Uh, so <laughs> the next thing that happened, that, which is pretty fucking funny, because this is before they've recorded the album. Uh, so they got national attention because on December 1st, 1977, uh, the band and members of the Bromley contingent swore during an early evening broadcast of the Thames Television Today program hosted by Bill Grundy, appearing as a last-minute replacement for fellow EMI artist Queen, who they obviously are yeah. such good pals with. Yeah, they... Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and Queen also had to stop... They had to cancel their appearance because of Freddie Mercury's dental appointment, mm. which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, during the interview, Jones said the band had fucking spent its label advance and Rotten used the word shit, although uh, both of these statements were apparently inaudible to Grundy, who had either claimed to be uh, who had earlier claimed to be drunk. Uh, he then engaged in a repertoire with uh, uh, Susie Sue, who declared that she had always wanted to meet him. And Grundy responded, did you really? Well, we'll meet afterwards, shall we? Uh, So the interviewer (laughs) says this to her. And this prompted this exchange between Jones and the host. Okay. So Steve Jones, you dirty sod. You dirty old man. Grundy, well, keep going, chief. Keep going. Go on. You've got another five seconds. Say something outrageous. You dirty bastard. Go on again. You dirty fucker. What a clever boy. What a fucking rotter. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, although the program was only broadcast in the London region, the ensuing media coverage occupied the tabloid newspaper for days. Uh, This (laughs) is right before their album. Their album then comes out. And in January of 78, the Pestles began a U.S. tour, eventually consisting of dates mainly in uh, the Deep South. Which is a great market for the sex yeah. pistols. <laughs> uh, it was delayed. Vicious fit, right? Yeah, there. yeah, no kidding. Uh, it was delayed due to American authorities' reluctance to issue visas to Jones's criminal record, resulting in the cancellation of several dates in the Northeast. Although highly anticipated, the tour was plagued by infighting, poor planning, and belligerent and violent audiences. <laughs> the manager later admitted that he purposely booked redneck bars to provoke hostile situations. He's really, really not a good manager. He's no. 
know. He's just a fucking shit fuck. Uh, <laughs> over the course of the two weeks, Vicious, heavily addicted to heroin, attempted to live up to his stage name. According to Johnny Rotten, he finally had an audience of people uh, who would behave with shock and horror, and Sid was easily led by the nose. Early in the tour, Vicious left his hotel room in Memphis to buy drugs. When found, he was beaten by the security team hired by Warner Brothers. <laughs> The band's American label, uh, he subs- uh, subsequently appeared with the words, give me a fix on his chest. Uh, accounts vary as to whether the words were written or carved there. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> me, Jesus. dude. Yeah, wow. Uh, during a concert in San Antonio, Vicious called the crowd a bunch of faggots before hitting an audience <laughs> member across the head with his bass guitar. In Baton Rouge, <laughs> he received fuck? simulated oral sex on stage, later declaring, that's the kind of girl I like. Suffering from heroin withdrawals during a show in Dallas, he spat blood at a woman who climbed on stage and punched him in the face. <laughs> he was kicked, admitted to the hospital later that night to treat various injuries. Mm. Off stage, he was said to have kicked a photographer, attacked a security guard and challenge one of his own bodyguards to a fight wait till you hear what taylor swift's doing on her tour dude like <laughs> oh my god man this is nothing dude this is fucking nothing man what a fucking shithead what a dude, little piece of shit what a fucking absolute dick yeah fuck. what a fucking little asshole i you know what's funny too is like he's like not talented it was the right like pe- you know what that's I mean. A, like, you can leave it. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. I have to say. It like, was the right period of time for someone like that, though. Like fucking people ate that shit up. Yeah, like and and you know what? Like like I I I mean, obviously he was a drug addict and and had a troubled youth and all this stuff and 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 you know, there's a certain amount of his history that can account for his behavior. Yeah, but and and there's also an argument to be said for. Was he playing the fucking heel? You know, like was there was there a bit of a heel thing going on? But that I mean, only goes to he, a certain extent. Yeah, I think he was playing the heel, but he liked it. He probably yeah, played he into it. Yeah, is big the time, heel. Yeah. Like, yeah. He became a real heel in I, life. I think so too, and I've seen that happen. Uh, actually, uh, uh, somebody that uh, another artist that I know, uh, who I really I'm not going to name them. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna and I'm gonna be very vague about this. But uh, I I really appreciated them because of what they did as a performer. And then I realized that that's just who they were. Exactly. And it made me go, oh. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think you do. Yeah, I do. Um, so, uh, probably playing this file, send media help. Oh, th- <laughs> <laughs> that was a Wikipedia copy. Okay, so, uh, uh, so later on, though, Johnny Rotten was suffering from the flu and coughing up blood and felt increasingly isolated from Cook and Jones was disgusted by Sid Vicious as well, and later said that he and Cook couldn't stand being around... uh, Jones later said that he and Cook couldn't stand being around Johnny and Sid anymore. He couldn't turn around for a minute without Sid starting a fight. Then to top it off, you had Rotten, who was on his own trip and basically thought he was God by that stage. So on January 14th, during the tour's final date at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco, a disillusioned Rotten introduced the band's encore by saying... You'll get one number and one number only because I'm a lazy bastard. That one number was the Stooges' no fun. And at the end of the song, Rotten kneeling on stage chanted an uh, unambiguous declaration. This is no fun. No fun. This is no fun at all. No fun. As the final cymbal crash died away, Rotten addressed the audience directly by laughing (laughs) (laughs) and then going, Ever have that feeling you've been cheated? Good night before throwing down his microphone and walking off stage. 
He later observed that he felt cheated and that he didn't want to go on any longer. Uh, He thought that the whole thing was a joke and the manager wouldn't even speak to him at that Mm. point. Uh, He would not discuss anything with him and uh, he would turn around and tell Paul and Steve that the tension was all his fault and uh, he wouldn't agree to anything. Now, when this happened, uh, he had, uh, like, they, the band basically all stuck around California for a little bit, yeah. doing their own things. And then Johnny Rotten phoned uh, uh, Richard Branson, <laughs> because he could at that point, yeah. uh, who was the head of, you know, Virgin yeah. Records. And he asked him for, like, uh, basically money so that he could get back home to England. Uh, Richard Branson instead bought him a ticket to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, because he was going to be going down there. And so he was like, I want you to come and meet up with me and some other people, like some other artists. So he goes down there and he meets up with the artist. It was Devo. And Richard Branson had the bright idea, hey, you know, it'd be great if Johnny Rotten became your lead singer. <laughs> and he and the band and Johnny Rotten were both like, no, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. And so they just didn't do it. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but after that, the manager was still convinced that he could make the Sex Pistols work. So he upped Sid Vicious from bassist to lead singer. And they <laughs> no, recorded the uh, uh, double-sided uh, record uh, uh, without Rotten, which had his version of My Way, which I actually think is a fucking really good song. Mm. Uh, his his cover of uh, My Way by Frank Sinatra, yeah, I've as, heard that. as we know. Um, on the night of the 11th of October, 1978, Sid Vicious and Nancy, Nancy Spungen hosted a party in their hotel room, during which Vicious took approximately 30 tenali, uh, two-in-all tablets, and while numerous people came and went, uh, was comatose for the rest of the night. At about 11 a.m. the next day, hotel staff found Nancy dead on the bathroom floor with a knife wound to her abdomen. Uh, Vicious was found where wandering in the hallway. He first claimed to have killed her, and then he uh, remembered nothing. Two people who had been at the party stated that Nancy was alive at 5 a.m. The murder weapon was identified as a Jaguar K-11 hunting knife, uh, which Nancy had purchased for Sid a few days earlier. That's an offensive weapon. That is an offensive yeah, weapon. Yeah, I'm going to say that's a fucking offensive weapon. Good thing Keith Richards didn't have that one. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, lawyers claimed the defense, though, that with the number of people that were in and out of the hotel room, it was impossible to pin it on him. Uh, in the meantime, uh, McLaren announced that the Sex Pistols would reunite to record a Christmas album to benefit mm. Sid's defense and sold t-shirts with the slogan, she's dead, I'm alive, I'm yours. <laughs> Ugh, the fucking cringe there. <sighs> now, quickly through the rest of this, I'm just summarizing this, but he got arrested for assault because he was backstage at another show, and Todd Smith, who I forget which band he was the drummer for, uh, Sid Vicious was talking to his girlfriend, Todd Smith didn't like it, so he fucking stabbed him with a beer bottle, and then he served, I think it was six, month in, six months in Rikers. Uh, he got released, though. And the day he got released, he went and got heroin. And then he died of an overdose that day, February 1st, 1978. Uh, and that's the end of uh, Sid Vicious. Mm. All right. Yeah. Notable that, tracks. Uh, that, uh, that guy sounds like a real piece of shit. Yeah, I don't think he'd be a good hang. No. There's a lot of rock stars where I'm like, it'd be fun to party with you, not him. I feel like he's, like, the type of person, like, nobody really wanted to be around. Like, surprised he kept a girlfriend for that long. Like, I think that that's drugs. 
Yeah. I think that that's drugs. And, like, that's, uh, I mean, I haven't seen the, the Sid and Nancy show yet. I, mm. I do want to see it because uh, isn't Maisie Williams Nancy in that? I didn't even know this existed. Yeah, there's isn't like there a, a stars. Isn't there a movie as well from the fucking 80s? Yeah, Gary Oldman yeah, played Sid Vicious, yeah. which is very fucking funny. <laughs> it was Sid Vicious and Winston Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were both racist. Yeah, it out. <laughs> Facts. Um, okay, so notable tracks and singles. Uh, Holiday in the Sun, which peaked at number eight. God Save the Queen released on Lizzie the Second Silver Jubilee. The song reached number one on the enemy charts in the UK and made it to number two on the official UK singles charts as used by the BBC. But this led to accusations that the BBC altered the charts because they didn't want that one to be the number one. Yeah, I've heard that as well. That's what fucking Steve was saying on the interview I watched. Yeah. That they didn't want it to be number one, so they, yeah, they, people that bay, he said, made sure it didn't happen. Which it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like, I could see that happening. Uh, Anarchy in the UK debut was their debut single. It was number 56 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Now, reception. During the media uh, foray over the song God Save the Queen, uh, Thomas Price and the Sex Pistols vocalist Johnny Rotten were subject to a razor attack outside a pub in Highbury, London. Uh, Because that's logical. Mm. Uh, Like razor scooters? Uh, no, like, 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 yeah, they got their shins rolled. <laughs> yeah, in. I was going to say, fucking guy comes in spinning it like a fucking helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking kicks through the door. Fucking, fucking the loses. UK just has the most creative ways to attack people. I they know. really do. Like yeah. here, it's like stabbing in the United States. It's guns there. It's like, yeah, razors and acid. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Or, or a fucking, uh, 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 rice and fucking dart. Yeah. Like that one dude <laughs> that, just... that worked in, in like the accounting of legislation. <laughs> like, he got fucking killed by a ricin dart. Um, okay. creative over there. Yeah. So the album, the album went platinum in the U.S., t- two times platinum in the U.K. It peaked at 106 on the U.S. Billboard charts and number one in the U.K. All music aggregate score was five out of five stars. Oh, fuck, that never happened. Uh, as, the rolling, uh, as was the Rolling Stone, Q, and The Guardian, 10 out of 10 from Spin Alternative Records Guide. Mm. Uh, in 1985, Enemy Writers voted... Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols, the 13th greatest album of all time. In 93, the writers voted the album the third greatest of all time. That seems extra high. In 87, (laughs) the Rolling Stone magazine (laughs) named it the second best album of the previous 20 years, only behind the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club's band. Uh, The same magazine listed it as 41 on their list of the 500 greatest albums ever in 2003. Uh, maintaining that position until the updated 2012 list, but dropped it to 73 in the 2020 revision. Mm. And one more fun fact with the reception. Uh, Kurt Cobain stated that this album was in his top 50 favorite albums and that the title of uh, their second album, Nevermind, was inspired by Nevermind the Ball of Sex Pistols, which really angered Johnny Rotten. <laughs> he got so mad that he decided to go on I'm a celebrity get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why did. would why did that anger him? I feel like Kurt Cobain's persona like was very reflective of the way they were. You would think so. Like I and especially because like maybe because Kurt Cobain wasn't a Nazi. <laughs> maybe. And well, I, I mean th- I think sorry, Andrew, go ahead. No, no, no I was going to say like I think like what's weird about it is that I would say like you know 
punk kind of died in like the early 80s for a while like there wasn't yeah it moved to grunge really hard yeah but it it died in the early 80s and went into hair metal being like the the hair metal and heavy metal were the two things and Mm. then grunge overtook that and that kind of seems like the logical next step you know like and it makes sense that they would be inspired so much by the sex pistols yeah so it's weird that they that johnny rotten would have such a problem with with Nirvana. Well, I think there's a weird difference in too, like the the versions of I don't give a fuck in grunge and I don't give a fuck in punk. Like the I don't give a fuck of punk is like I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna fucking do whatever, I'm gonna, you know, smash this up, I'm gonna fucking yeah. you know, smash my yeah, guitar, it, fuck it was my instrument. Anarchism without yeah. purpose. Where yeah. where grunge is like it's in, it's, in, it's indifference. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. exactly it's indifference. Like, oh I don't give a fuck. I'm not gonna do anything about it. Yeah, it's but the same attitude, but just flipped right in fucking inaction. Yeah, it, um, it brought like the existentialism to mm-hmm. the anarchist persona. Yeah, and and sub pop <laughs> records really is, I would say, the reason that grunge exists because oh, they yeah. were able to take like it was just a couple of people that really liked the Seattle local music scene, mm. so they made a fucking record company. Yeah, and like and you know, so we wouldn't have Soundgarden, we wouldn't have fucking. Uh, 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 Pearl Jam and uh, Nirvana if it wasn't for, uh, you know, that holy fuck, everything sucks attitude. Because in the early 90s in the Pacific Northwest, things were bad. That mm-hmm. was a lumber-based industry, and lumber was shit at mm-hmm. that point, you know? Canadian lumber did really well at that time. Like, everybody that I knew who was, like, associated with the logging industry in the 90s in Canada was doing great. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until, like, the mid-2000s where it really fucked us here. But in the, in, in the U.S., they were screwed at that point. There's something weird, too, the parallel with, like, Hard times creates, you know, a change in the art scene. It seems to be like if you go through different points in history, there's something happens and then the, the, the whole, you know, music, you know, whether it's visual art, whether it's movies, reflects that change. There's a change as well within the art scene mm-hmm. um, that's parallel to what's going on in modern times. Whether it's shitty things or good things happening, there's I, a complete, yeah. complete parallel. Like, I mean, you look at the 50s, it was booming. All the movies were glitz and glamour. Yeah. They were fucking, you know, big productions, large productions, um, you know, that sort of thing. The rec- the records were the same way. Yeah. Um, I think you see it especially reflected within, like, punk cultures, starting mm-hmm. in, like, the punks of the late 60s. You start seeing, like, the genres of punk move with the times. And that's, yeah. like, one of the most reflective yeah. movements because those, those groups are the most, like, honest and the most in it most for the most part like. well they're also the youngest exactly. you know like mm-hmm. like because let's be honest here like it's not like okay obviously there's a difference between punk and pop punk but mm-hmm. if we were gonna look at like the biggest example from our lifetime green day's american idiot mm-hmm. was such a fucking like that that is like the equivalent of our generation in terms of punk yeah and you, you know the evolutions move on like if you i I love the punk scene a lot. Not the deep cut punk scenes, but kind of the popular ones now. Like, if you look at somebody like Jeff Rosenstock, like, Mm -hmm. you can see the reflectiveness from when the early 2000s when he did Ska to what it is now. Mm -hmm. Like, it's impressive. And you see the reflection of, like, who he is from this upbeat personality to this, like, I hate my life. (laughs) And, And I'll say this, too, because we're on the topic. Recommendation that I have for anybody listening who wants to hear new punk done well... Starcrawler. Starcrawler rips. Mm. Starcrawler fucking rips. They're, uh, two of my favorite songs of theirs are covers, but they actually made them, I would say, as good as the originals. 
which are Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Their their Pet Cemetery is just That's as good I as discovered them. Uh, yeah, it yeah. fucking goes so hard. It goes so hard. And then uh, the other one is uh, from the newest Jackass movie. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. They did a fucking phenomenal nice. cover of that. Um, but even their originals are really good. I saw them at uh, at Big Winter Classic last year, and Siobhan and I were literally right at the front of Broken City. Like, nice. right beside, like, we were getting her, her secondhand heroin sweat on us. It was <laughs> fucking amazing. Also, just, like, the fempunk movement yeah. right now, that is some of the best punk you'll hear. Oh. Like, when I saw Mannequin Pussy, I got tickets to that, not really familiar with who mm-hmm. they were, listen to their music. Holy shit, is it so good. Like, that's another recommendation that we talked about earlier in the episode. But Mannequin Pussy rips... That's so good. I can recommend Jeff Rosenstock, and I love Pup as well. Pup's yeah, Pup, great, Pup is really great. fucking good. That's in the pop punk era, but they're still like very reflective of punk. And I'd I would say. I would put them on the heavier side of pop. Punk, Absolutely, you know, like they got some metal tracks. Yeah. They got some fucking very metal tracks. And like, if you listen to something like DVP, you're not like yeah, you're oh, not, especially like, their early albums. Yeah. Oh my god, those Dark are, Days is just a fucking yeah. insane album. Morbid Stuff is my favorite album because that's the album I discovered them to. Oh and yeah, so yeah. It just lives special in a special place. No, Even their new album, Unravel, uh, the unraveling of Pup the Band, like, that's great. Oh, it fucks. It fucks so hard. That's good punk. Like, we're, I know we're talking about Sex Pistols, and they have a lot of controversy, so I, it's nice to recommend some, like, here's some good mm-hmm. punk. But I would also recommend, like, 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 my favorite punk band is The Clash. Yeah. Clash and, goes and so hard, yeah. They go so hard, but they also have so much influence from reggae and mm-hmm. like and oh, blues yeah. on top of fucking having a punk influence. Fuck, we should have done the Clash. I have a Clash album. I, I do too. I, 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 we probably have the same one. Yeah, a combat rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I think we're due for a Clash. I, I think so too. Yeah. I, I, I would be down to do combat rock because it's got uh, okay, controversial opinion. My favorite song by the Clash is uh, is Train in Vain. My favorite album is Combat Rock. I like Train in Vain, too. That's one of my favorite songs. It's a good one. I don't really like London Calling as a song. No, I don't like it much either. That's, that's not a hot It's got a really a good bass line. But, it's like, <laughs> but that's, that's where my compliments end. I love Rock the Caspa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rock the Caspa is a fucking awesome yeah. song. Should I stay or should I go? Mm-hmm. Ugh, it fucks. All, All right. Other punk band, old punk band, Dead Kennedys. I know I referenced yeah. them yep. as well, but that's another great listen if you want some mm. classic punk. The fucking Ramones. Yeah, the mm. Ramones, as referenced the Ramones. earlier. Oh, man. There's some really good punk out there. Sex Pistols kind of like, they're notorious, and they're a great talking point. Well, they have that fucking thing we've talked about with lots of artists that are controversial. They have that, like, it's weird. Like, we are talking about Sid Vicious. We hear it out loud how terrible of a person it was, but it's also somewhat, like, it's like folklore idolized mm-hmm. like fucking. but it's also before our time so mm-hmm. it's harder you know like it's it's harder to to make it uh like seem as bad as it I is d- i don't know, you know how people reacted at the time either because fucking like you know you think on about it now you hear about it it's like this you know story oh yeah he maybe killed his girlfriend he was in a crazy he used to do wild shit on stage yeah. like it's all kind of like you know like he was i said really like the a folklore Simpson of his time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. If you want to put I that bet way. he'd hate that I compared him yeah. to a black man. Oh yeah, yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> Watch out, you might get stabbed with a instead of, instead of a <laughs> instead of a fucking uh, Ford Bronco, he drove an Oldsmobile or a fucking <laughs> a Jaguar, a Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so every episode we yes. review the album. We reviewed it on uh, reviewed it reviewed it. We review it on. On technical, musical, lyrical, album art, reception, and does it hold up? Mm. 
technical element. Okay, taking into account that there was two producers and they mixed songs that <laughs> sound like they were one song, uh, and I didn't know that before doing the research. For yeah, it. that's an interesting fact. That's that an interesting fact, yeah. and I, I think like that does bump it up a little bit, but like. It's still got that like gritty fucking sound. It's raw to it. and it's muddy. Yeah. Like you I mean it's not I don't think it would sound good if it was crisp though. If it was like, you know, perfectly manicured and Yeah. You know, the fact that the noises all kind of I mean the drums and the guitar are all kind of fucking mushed together on top of the vocals. If it didn't sound that way it wouldn't be the same album. No. And you know what's funny is I just realized there's there's a weird connection to our pod cuz I went through a, a big old kick where I was listening to this album and mm. all of the Vito singles in a playlist in 2019. Interesting. <laughs> and that was like, I would just hit shuffle and fucking interesting combo. Yeah. Mm. Very, very weird combo. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, technically I agree with you. Like the, the muddiness adds to it. Yeah. I don't know where I'd come in at. I think I'll come in like pretty mid. I'll come in like a seven, maybe seven and a half. I think seven and a half is fair. I think seven and a half is fair. I would. Okay. Now this is going to be controversial. I'm giving it a six and a half. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. So we're at a seven right now. Now, musically. Holy fuck. Well, OK. <laughs> finding out that Steve Jones basically played all the instruments yeah. except for the drums uh, makes me go, well, Steve Jones is an amazing musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think vocally it sounds really good. I do. I do really like Johnny Rotten's voice. I think that if if you think of punk, this is kind of the voice that you're imagining. Well, yeah, I think head. if you think of 70s punk, I think it's exactly what you'd picture. Yeah. Like late 70s punk And you scene. can hear the same sort of thing done by newer punk acts. Yeah. Like, you, you hear this so much in Billy Joel Armstrong's way that he inflects certain things in his songs, you know? Yeah, the talky. You really hear it in the idols. Like, yeah. Yeah. you want some British shit? Like, the idols, that you hear that yeah. influence. The, the talky, half-talky, half-singy thing. Um, is like a mainstay of fucking punk music yeah. to this day. Um, I don't know. What do you What are you thinking, Em? Musically, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a six. I think that's fair. I might go six and a half. I think like there's nothing special really going on. I think it it's hard. It's energetic. Yeah. I think there's a lot of energy put into the 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 music and a lot of energy put into the vocals. Um, but yeah, I think a six and a half. I'm gonna go with. That's totally fair. So right now we're at a six point seven five. Mm. Lyrically, okay. Lyrically, I will go higher on this because I think that, especially putting into context the time that they were in, uh, having the balls to say "fuck the monarchy." <laughs> you mean the bollocks? The, the bollocks. <laughs> having the nutters. Having the nutters. <laughs> having the nutters to say "fuck the queen." Having the nutters to say "fuck the queen." But like everything that they're uh, everything that they're talking about, like honestly, like I I listen to the album so fucking much. Like mm. this is this is I would probably say in at least at the very least my top twenty five albums that I've listened to the most. The most. Yeah. And it took me so long to actually listen to the lyrics and have an appreciation for it because mm. I was so caught up on just what it sounded like outside of that. Right, like. Uh, f- like f- when I was in high school, for yeah. instance, right? Uh, but then once I heard the lyrics, I'm like, oh shit, this is angry. But it doesn't mm. feel angry because of how it sounds. Um, mm. until until you really start to pay attention to it. So for that reason, I would probably go with an eight on this for lyrics. Mm. See, this is like I listened to the album and I've listened to their tracks, but this was like the first time I actually listened through it intensely and like tried to you know pick out things i was liked and disliked um i mean i'd heard a lot of their famous tracks before um lyric wise i didn't really spend a lot of time 
like you mentioned, deep diving into it. Like I read over them while I was listening to the track, but didn't really, you know, click with me the same way. So I mm. might go a seven on it. Okay. Yeah. So right now we're at a seven mm-hmm. altogether. Uh, album art, it's nothing really special. I no. It is recognizable, but only because the words are so fucking big. Yeah, it's front. true. <laughs> what fun. Be what? I, this is one of my favorite album arts. Is it really? really? I, I don't know. It's the, like... It's that strip backness, like it's very eye catching. Like you will double take every time. And it is, and it is bright fucking yellow. Yeah, it and it's really, it's really cool to me. The different fonts they use, and then just the sex. I think I think the back looks cooler than the the front does. Yeah, this is an album like you'll double take, and if you're at a record shop, you pick it up and then see the back. Like this is an album that people will buy just because of that. I do like that there is three different fonts, four different fonts. Yeah, on the exactly. Like it's very, it's really unique to me. Like it, I love this album art cause it's so simple, but there's like layers to it. I would also say because of the amount of times it's been parodied, like it's obviously well, excuse me, well known enough. Po- like the punk magazines of the like eighties to nineties, like they mimic this, like mm-hmm. this, influenced the design of punk for so long i'd say i'd say a seven i'm going with a seven yeah i was gonna smack down right at a seven too. all right so we're we're at a seven across the board <laughs> sorry right now. sam you didn't no, convince okay. me i would rather it be lower because i don't think this album deserves to be much higher than i <laughs> you know i understand it like being a product of its time like, this is gonna get into the fucking mm-hmm. does it hold up um you Let's know. do reception before sorry, we get sorry, into okay, it. Yeah, I, I feel ahead, like we ahead. should we should uh, res- because I know what you're going to say and I mm-hmm. agree with you mm-hmm. on this. So reception. Uh, now, obviously, it was received really well commercially. Yeah. But uh, due to the controversy around it, mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot that was muddied about it. Right. Yeah. That being said, that played into how well it was received commercially. I think that it has like we've mentioned it has you know impacted so many musicians afterwards Mm -hmm. uh and and it really it it didn't just affect punk it also affected metal like this is one of the Mm -hmm. first albums that uh is referenced by some of the biggest metal acts of all time because it was it was on that fucking line because punk up until that point was like very in your face and everything but it still had kind of a jazzy element to it yeah this is aggressive this and is fucking loud and angry. It was so different than rock that was going on at the time. Like, if you were, like, in, like, a lot of people were, like, popular rock at the time was, like, prog rock and yeah. fucking shit like that. It was not anything close to this. Uh, so, I mean, if you were into rock music and you were looking for something different, this was the different. Yeah. This was the different that whether or not you were a punk yourself, this was something different. If you were pissed off, a teenager, you were angsty, this was different. Than anything else you were listening to. You weren't getting fucking pissed off and angry to Steely Dan. You weren't no. getting fucking pissed off and angry to the Doobie Brothers. You know, this is... Although I am pissed off and angry that I'm going to miss the Doobie Brothers concert this October. Why are you going to miss it? Because I'm going to be in fucking Halifax. Oh, that's fun. No, it is actually really Yeah, cool. fucking but Halifax I am, cool. I am sad, though, because not only are the Doobie Brothers am I missing, I'm also missing Villo Vallo. Mm. And apparently the new tour that he's doing... Uh, it's all of the hymn musicians that are still playing in it, and so half of the act is his new album, and half of it is hymn's greatest hits. I'm so fucking mad! Mm. First time he's here in fucking twelve years, and I don't get to see it. You love him. 
I do, and I'm yeah. really sorry. I got on a tangent. That's there, okay. It just no, it, that's okay. My my point my point was finished. So. Um, okay, so reception, I'd say probably eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. I would give it an eight out of ten, so that bumps us to a seven point two five right now. Mm-hmm. Now this is the big question, and I'm going to let you go first. Does it hold up? Well, that's what I was about to get into. I think it's a. I don't know if it does the same. I think it's a like I mean it, weird weirdly though like you two both have a connection to it from high school I don't so maybe for you it did it does hold up mm-hmm. I think some of the you know the sound certainly doesn't um, I see the influence I'd say a lot of their influences have held up the the, the people they've influenced has held up much better than this record itself but I don't think it holds up I think you they've kind of soiled um, you know this with what, everything that happened outside the band, they've kind of soiled their, um, you know, legendary status or whatever it may be. Now they're kind of remembered for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think of the Sex Pistols, you don't often think of the music. Um, you know, when we talked about doing this album, we were all talking about talking about the band. We weren't really talking about the music itself. We were all like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the band. We're going to talk about Sid Vicious. We're going to talk about yeah. Johnny Rotten. We're going to talk about all the fucking crazy shows and fucking things they did. Um, so it's, you know, I don't know if it holds up. I don't think it does, I, personally. I think I can see the influence, and I can see how, how it's been, you know, put up as one of these best albums. But it makes sense why, critically, it's been dropping Ever since its release in mm-hmm. the top list, it was a number three. It was a number twenty. It's in you know number fucking nine, whatever it is in the top one hundred albums of all time, and it's pushing its way back. So I think influential wise, I'm sure it uh, you know on the bands that came after and love this album, um, maybe it holds up for them. But for me personally, no, it, it doesn't. Spawns the albums that hold up. Yeah. this is an album and a band I was loved in high school and then learned more about them and was happy to let go of. Yeah. Now, I I agree with you, but I also I I'm gonna I'm gonna actually uh, I agree with you on some of your points, but I'm gonna disagree with you overall on this. Uh, and this is the only time that we've actually disagreed on on if something held yeah. up. Um, the only reason that I say that is because there's a lot of themes in the album that at the time were super poignant. And we've now seen a resurgence of those same themes, right? We've seen a resurgence of, of uh, you know, people in the working class or of lesser class mm-hmm. talking about the royals and, 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 and the capitalist fucking nature of society. More so than we had seen in the, like, I would say 30 years, like the 80s, 90s, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. 2000s. There wasn't really as much talk about the fucking despairing... The difference between between the classes, right? Except and, for like Diana. <laughs> well, I was, I was let, gonna... let me finish. Let yeah, me finish because, like, I, I, okay, I agree with you, but that's that's one part of a like that's like a blip in the big scheme of things. Because in that time, we've also got a lot of people that are like you know career politicians uh, whose then kids go into politics, and mm-hmm. you know we have uh, you know the royal family is now getting. Uh, talked about a lot more because of you know Britain's impact on on colonizing everywhere else in, in the yeah. world and and how all of these colonized countries are like hey why the fuck do we have the queen on our money what mm-hmm. the fuck is with that so I feel like there's there's some parts of that that do hold up because the the themes are carrying true to this day I would also say and this is this is a personal thing I uh, 
there's there's some things like there's some artists who I won't stream or I won't watch their new shit because I I want to separate the art from yeah. the artist, right? But not a single dollar from the record that I bought went to Sid Vicious. That's true. So I don't really give a fuck in that regard. You that's know? a like, that's a good that's point. Yeah, like where like he's the one that I have the biggest problem with in this whole scenario, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's where most people have the biggest problem with is Sid Vicious. So and and also considering he only played bass with them live, really, yeah. like it was all Glenn Matlock's fucking, uh, you know, writing and bass and Steve Jones playing the bass and everything. So, so I'm able to, I'm able to separate that because it's kind of like, okay, say me as a comedian, if I had, okay, hypothetical situation, Mm -hmm. one of my fraternity brothers goes and commits a mass murder. Yeah. Now, does that mean that if I had a joke or a story in my act that had mentioned that person, does that mean that I also need to be canceled because of the fact that they yes. did something? Are you mentioning them by name and not addressing the issue? Or would you, if this happened, would you then just be like my fraternity brother and not mention by name? Well, no, I, I, I mean, if I, if it happened, it would be obvious who it is. Like, yeah. you know, because it would be in the news and everything. I don't know. But no, I think, no, but I you're think talking that... about the joke. That's what I'm referencing. Like, if you had this joke beforehand and then yeah. this all happened, would you still use the joke with his name or well, would you change it to just reference your fraternity brother? But here's the thing: if it's if it's okay, because there's there's two things about that. Nothing in like okay, so how do I explain this? I feel like if I'm referencing them by name, which I never do with anybody in my act, exactly, then so- it would be like a one-off. But but the same reasoning then is is holding true in my opinion like logically i can see like okay if i did nothing wrong and i was or if i did nothing wrong and that person was not directly actually creating the art with me mm. does it really make a difference in the grand scheme of things i feel I like th- that's a bit of a stretch i think but it's, I, I get the analogy. i think it's different because he is He's a face. He's a face. The he's, he's the face of the band. Yeah. When you think of the Sex Pistols, like we said earlier, we're only talking about Johnny Rotten. We're only talking about Sid Vicious. Yeah. So that's who you think of when you think of the band. And and I do agree with you. Yeah. But, but I also think that it is funny that we associate the Sex Pistols with Sid Vicious mm-hmm. or Sid Vicious with the Sex Pistols, but he wasn't actually like fucking doing it yeah no. if we could have a whole cultural change about this band i would say this album holds up but that's not happening what one thing i wanted to mention to you were talking about the the you know the talking from like the working class perspective and mm-hmm. you know not so much the monarchy part you were talking about but i mean they weren't the first people to do that either no there was the singer songwriters of the 60s and yeah. then there was you know johnny it, cash there was there was country honestly, singers in the 50s surface level yeah. on a lot of those issues and it spawned the better album but i think i think like we talked about earlier where they shine is their energy mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. it makes a difference it's not so much a lyrical thing it's not so much a content thing of what they're saying it's the raw roughness the gruffness the energy yeah. the I, I listen to this album because of the sound itself yeah. it's yeah. an it's an it screams i don't give a fuck and it's in your face about it that's why people liked it that's why people related to it yeah i think it's different than like you know it's not about the content yeah you can look at the lyrics and you can say okay yeah he's talking about this talking about that but that's not why it connected with people no it connected with people because it's rough it's raw it's straight to the point it's in your face um you know then it 
peaked at the right time in culture and, you know, right time where punk was just coming up. It was different than the punk that was coming from New York. Um, I mean, the punk that was coming from New York, yeah, it was loud and it was in your face, but it also, like you said, it was based in some, you know, you could see the roots from other musical styles. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, as raw and rough around the edges where this was. This was and different. the California punk was yeah. even fucking less raw and yeah. rough around the edges than any of it. So. And I feel like in why it did so well in the UK compared to the US because things were different. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it hit so much harder for them. It was at number one. It was at 106 in the US. Yeah. So it's, um, I think that's more where it shines through. It's not a lyrical thing. It's not a content thing. It's the music and the sound and the energy. Yeah. People were going through some shit at that time in the UK and this band let them let loose. Well, I think, I think, uh, maybe I'll change what I said. I think the energy and the, the that, that all holds up. Like, I won't say the album and the sound, like, something I'd listen to or go back to, but I think, like, mm-hmm. the that sort of raw mm-hmm. and, like, fucking fuck you sort of thing. Like, even, like, our conversation yesterday, like, just being around young people our age are fucking mad. They're mad about the way the world is. They're mad about how things are yeah. right now. Yeah. That energy reigns true. That oh, holds yeah. up. That holds up. So That's where I go back to, like, I'm fine with letting go of this album for yeah. more better modern ones. Mm-hmm. Well, I fucking won't. I'm holding it. <laughs> it holds up in my book. Well, that's and why I it's will, great to have a different opinion. I will listen to this still once a month, probably. Nice. That's that's Honest to God, I probably do listen to it once a month. Uh, okay, so then that's a 7.25 out of 10. Yeah, that's fair. That's pretty fair. All right, so that's been another episode of Misfits Fuck Unplugged. yeah, man. All right, it's good to be back. It's and, good to be back. And uh, Yeah. That was two long ones. Anal contusions. <laughs>